let's open up this morning with a word of prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, we come before you again this morning just to thank you, praise you again for all that you've done in our lives, all that you're doing this morning. Lord, may we just right now completely give ourselves into the study of your word. May we see and understand what you're trying to tell us personally, what you want to tell us as a church, and what you want to tell us individually. So I pray you now that you will fill this room with your spirit, open our hearts and minds. We hear from you now. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to you, because you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife? Like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers, and Cephas. Or do only Barnabas, only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its fruit? Or who shepherds a flock and does not drink from the milk from the flock? Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? Is he really, is he really saying it for our sakes? Yes, this is written for our sake. But he who plows ought to plow in hope, and he who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we, ha don't we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Instead, we endure everything so that we will not hinder the gospel of Christ. In this section, Paul defends why he has a right to receive support from the church by proving his right to receive it. So in these first 14 verses, he gives four arguments to support his right to charge for his services. In, verses, in verse 1 through 6, Paul explains his first argument for receiving financial support, his apostleship. He begins by asking four interconnected questions. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? 
Are you not my work in the Lord? If the answer to any of these is no, then all of Paul's claims would, would be in jeopardy. But the truth is, Paul is free. He is an apostle. He has seen Jesus. And he has spiritually fathered the Corinthians. In fact, the answer to the last two questions are written about in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 9. Thus, proving his apostolic claims. However, even if others questioned, doubted, or refused to recognize his apostleship, the evidence of God's work among the Corinthian Christians would have proven it to them. They were the seal of his apostleship in the Lord. Paul, in verse 3, then presents a defense by asserting his rights as an apostle to receive material provisions for his ministry with two rhetorical questions. He says, don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? As a genuine apostle, the answers to both of these are, of course, yes. Paul had the right to eat and drink at the expense of the church that he served at. And even though he was unmarried, he had the same right to be accompanied by a believing wife like the other apostles, the Lord's brothers and Cephas. And as a matter of fact, she too would have had the right to be supported by the church. Nevertheless, although he had the same right as them, he never used it. Verse 6 then gets into the heart of Paul's complaint with another question. Again, or do, or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? Like all the other apostles, Paul and Barnabas had the right to devote all their time into ministry. and be supported by the churches. You see, they didn't have to make tents. They were tent makers by trade. They worked with their hands, but they didn't have to do that. They chose to work and support themselves so no one can accuse them of preaching for money. In verse seven, Paul states his second reason, his second reason to receive financial support his human experience. All of us have been taught since we were at a young age that those who work hard ought to be rewarded for their labor, whether it's out in the work field or whether it's in school, you work hard and you will be rewarded for your hard work. In the military, the troops are paid and supported by the government. Here at, you know, when someone joins the army or the Marines or the Navy, well, let's take one for instance, the Navy. The sailors aren't told to bring their own ships. 
sailors, I mean, the, the army aren't told, the army personnel, the troops aren't told to bring their own tanks. All their supplies, everything they need to fight, to survive, is supplied to them. And for the most part, they're fed, they're housed, and they're paid. They're, and they're paid pretty well. The man who plants a vineyard gets to eat the fruit, just as the shepherd or the herdsman has a right to use the milk of the, from the animals. Paul here is making three analogies from his own human experience to point out that as an apostle, he has the right to be supported for his labor and services. If this is true in the secular realm, it's also true in the spiritual realm. In verses 8 to 13, Paul makes his third argument, Old Testament law and practice. To prove that he just wasn't speaking from a human perspective, he quotes from Deuteronomy 25.4 to show them that a laborer has the right to share in the bounties. Now Paul here isn't claiming that this quotation from the Mosaic law never had anything to do with oxen, only that its application cannot be limited to animals. Verses 10 and 11 clarify using imagery favored by Jesus in his parables of seed and sowing, that preaching the gospel is like planting a crop and making disciples like harvesting. His point is this, if oxen shouldn't be muzzled as a plow, as a plow, neither should preachers be prevented from eating due to lack of support from those among those among whom they minister. In verse 13, Paul uses the practices of the priests and Levites in the Jewish temple as another example of how religious leaders lived off the sacrifices and offerings from the temple. By now, it ought to be abundantly clear, if the Old Testament ministers under the law were supported by the people whom they ministered, shouldn't God's servants who minister under grace also be supported? In verse 14, Paul makes his final argument as to why he has a right to be compensated. The teachings of Jesus. Here, Paul is referring to the words of Jesus when he said in Luke chapter 10, uh, chapter 10 verse 7, the worker is worthy of his wages. You see, Jesus' words alone would have provided him with the conclusive proof of his right to be supported by the Corinthians. Believers who individually and corporately benefit from the ministries of full-time Christian workers need, carefully, need to carefully examine these verses that we just covered. Here are three important facts churches and ministers need to be aware, need to be aware of and understand. Number one, those who dedicate themselves to full-time ministry ought to be supported by their churches for their labor, for their labor. Again, it's a case-by-case -case basis. 
mean, not every church can do that. But for the most part, there should be some compensation. Ministers should not have to be so preoccupied with providing for their basic needs and that of their families that they cannot devote themselves wholeheartedly to their work. Now, as the pastor of this church, I have been blessed with a job that allows me to provide for the needs of my family and also the time to prepare for my weekly sermons. Now, had this not been the case, I probably wouldn't have started the church. I probably wouldn't have planted this church. Like Paul, I've chosen to work to support myself and my family in order not to impose a financial burden on this church. And me working also and making an income keeps me from being accused of, being, of mismanaging funds or, or ministering or being accused of ministering primarily for financial gain. And we see a lot of pastors like that on television. That that's the only reason they they preach is just to you know ask the congregants or the television or the people out in their homes, send me your money, send me your money. I think I just recently saw another pastor saying, "I need your money so I can buy a private jet." You know, I was I was crazy. I'm not talking about the one that was before that, but just past this past week, I heard this crazy stuff. So anyways, as I was saying, I chose to work in order to support myself and my family. However, as some of you probably know, working full time on a midnight shift does hinder my, my availability to do more of the Lord's work. If one day our church leadership decides that it's time that we can financially support, if they can financially support me being paid as a pastor, I hope that the leadership won't think of it as, as though they were giving me a salary. Rather, I hope it's viewed more so as a resource to allow me to serve more freely. Because if it's seen as a salary, then I'm essentially a hireling. You know, I'm essentially just, you know, if I don't do something right, then they can, you know, reduce my pay, counsel me, talk to me, you know, and then I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm restrained. I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, uh, I gotta be, but if, it's, but if it's seen as a resource to help me, to free me, to free and, to free me and give me more time uh, to serve, that's, that's better. It's a better way of looking at it. Number two, the purpose of ministry isn't to make money but rather to serve others, lead people to Jesus Christ, and make disciples. Paul didn't assert his right to receive financial support from the 
church at Corinth because the gospel of Jesus Christ mattered more to him than getting paid. Those of us in ministry, in full-time ministry or in any kind of ministry, should have the same heart. Believers who have chosen paid ministry as a career have foregone higher salaries and more comfortable lifestyles that other occupations or careers could have afforded them. Yet, those who are truly called with the compulsion Paul felt will confess that no other line of work could have proved so satisfying. See, I wasn't called by God to preach the gospel so that I can get rich off of it. No. I was called by God to, pre to preach, to bring people to Christ and show them through the scriptures how much God loves them. So, whether I'm paid or not, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to continue to fulfill my calling as long as the Lord allows me to. This is my heart. This is my calling. Getting paid doesn't matter to me. And thirdly, the third reason. Ministers must be willing to surrender their rights and privileges in order to achieve a higher goal. This is Paul's main point for, the entire, for this entire chapter. Just as he was willing uh, to deny himself, deny himself such an important right for the good of the gospel and the, Cor the Corinthian Christians, we should be just as willing. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, if anyone wants to follow me, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. When you voluntarily give up your Christian freedom and liberty for the sake of others, you're essentially applying these words of Jesus. What is, the higher, what is that higher goal? speaks about here Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 through 13 as he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists some pastors and teachers for the uh, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. That is the higher goal. Until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. These five arguments that Paul made proved without a shadow of a doubt that Paul had a right to receive from the church financial support for his ministerial duties. However, as we'll see, 
he deliberately refused their support. And in the last part of this chapter, he'll explain why. So let's pick up in verse uh, 15 and read on. For my part, I have used none of these rights, nor have I written these things that they may be applied in my case. For it would be better for me to die than for anyone to deprive me of my boast. For if I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast, because I am compelled to preach. And woe to me if I, don't, if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my reward? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make it and not make full use of my gospel. Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak, in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that I may so that I may be, so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. Don't you know that, a, that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one's beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. In the previous section, Paul defended his right to receive support. Now here in this last section, Paul defends his right to refuse support for his ministry, ministerial services. He gives them three reasons why he didn't insist on being supported by them. He refused to be supported for the sake of the gospel. Paul explains in verse 15 that although he had proven his right to be supported, he deliberately chose not to. If you go back to the end of verse 12, he had already explained the reason why. He wanted the message of the gospel to be free from any obstacles or hindrances, hindrances in the minds of lost sinners. He did it for the sake of the gospel. And neither has he written to them as a low-key hint to send him money. For Paul, death would be better than being deprived from glorifying the Lord for what he has done 
in spite of Paul's weaknesses. But Paul goes on to say in verse 16 that he couldn't claim any credit for preaching the gospel because God had placed an irresistible call in his life to preach. He wasn't preaching because he had no other choice or because he wanted to make a name for himself. He preached because it was something that he had to do. If Paul preaches voluntarily without support, he will have the reward that goes with such service. But if he preaches involuntarily because of the fire that's burning within him that couldn't be resisted, then he is a man acting under the orders of God. What then is his reward? He says right here, the joy of preaching the gospel without charge. This meant that no man could accuse him of underhanded motives or methods as he shared the good news of Jesus Christ. The second reason he refused to be supported for the sake of sinners. Paul explains in verse 19 that even though he knew he was free to do whatever he wanted, bringing people to Jesus was more important to him than using his freedom selfishly. Therefore, whatever he does, he wants to clear the ground of unnecessary obstacles that are going to get in the way for unbelievers, for new believers, for older believers, for anyone coming to Christ. He doesn't want to put any obstacles in their way. Even if it means making himself a slave to everyone. This isn't just a regular word, uh, the regular servant word, it's, it's being a slave. Paul's self-imposed slavery gave him the freedom, freedom to accommodate Jews and Gentiles alike, and therefore speak the gospel in a forthright manner, unhin unhindered by cultural hang-ups. He voluntarily did this in order to win more people and then states four groups of people he hoped to win over for Jesus. The Jews, those under the law, those not having the law, and the weak. Now this doesn't imply that Paul was inconsistent, that Paul was, one minute he was one way, and another minute he, was, he, he wasn't being shady, he wasn't, um, he wasn't compromising the gospel message to please his audience. Rather, he believed that he, if he could make a concession without sacrificing divine truth, he would do it in order to win souls. To explain that a little bit more here in a bit. The end of verse 22, Paul repeats his principle of flexibility one last time. I have become all things 
to all people. And this describes a readiness to accommodate to the customs or habits of a people in order to win a hearing for the gospel message. Chuck Smith put it like this, Paul sought to win people to Jesus Christ by being sensitive to their needs and identifying with them. We should try to reach people where they're at today and expect to see changes later. He then says in verse 23, Now I do all of this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessings. Paul didn't want to be alone in possessing and enjoying the benefits of the gospel. He intended to take as many people with him to heaven. Now, here finally we have the third reason he refused to be supported for his own sake. In verses 24 uh, through 27, the theme of sharing the gospel, the gospel blessings continues. And the analogies of strict discipline fit the single-minded passion Paul had articulated in verses 15 through 18. So, Paul is probably not thinking of the Christian life in general as a race or a boxing match, as he does in 2 Timothy verse 4, verse 7. More than likely, he's referring instead to these particular tasks of being all things to all people and voluntarily relinquishing his rights. The Corinthians would have been familiar with all these analogies. From the regular athletic training and competition that surrounded the Ithmian Games that the city hosted every other year. In verse 24, and in the beginning of verse 26, Paul reminds the Corinthians that not all who run a race receive the prize for first place. A crown, actually a pine wreath, that will not last. Literally, it's corruptible. He does not want any of the members of his church to fail to get their spiritual and incorruptible crowns. But he is aware that some who begin the race of fulfilling their commission may not complete it and thereby, therefore, and thereby be disqualified. So he adds one more, he adds another analogy by comparing his struggle to a boxer who dare not shadow box or miss too many punches if he intends to knock out his opponent. Paul viewed his boxing opponent as his own body. When it resisted giving up rights and liberties, he brought it under strict control. He enslaved it. In order to give up his rights and have the joy of winning lost souls, Paul had to discipline himself. That is, that is the emphasis of this entire chapter. Authority must be balanced by discipline. 
Paul had one great goal in life, to glorify the Lord by winning the lost and building up the saints. To reach this goal, he was willing to pay any price. He was willing even to give up his personal rights. He sacrificed immediate gains for eternal rewards, immediate pleasures for eternal joys. This last passage of chapter 9 should challenge you all to answer these three questions. Question 1, how much are you willing to give up and how far are you willing to go for the sake of the gospel? If someone or something is getting in the way of your spiritual growth, get rid of it by giving it over to Jesus. Philippians chapter 3 verse 8 says, More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. You see, the more you surrender yourself to God, the more He'll be able to effectively use you when you share the gospel with others. Question number two. Are you willing to set aside your rights for the sake of sinners? This doesn't mean, or am I saying, that you should set aside your Christian principles or morals. What I mean is, would you be willing to change your behavior and manner of approach in order to reach an unbeliever? Are you willing to get out of your comfort zone to sit down and have a conversation from someone or with someone from another faith? With that, that homosexual married couple that lives down the street or that coworker that maybe having two wives, I don't know, you know, uh, people that just live completely different lives, the atheist, you know, would you be willing to step out of your comfort zone and just be able to, again, not necessarily, you know, you know uh, come down on them with the gospel, but just listen, listen to what they have to say because they may be hurting. They may be, they may have questions about your faith. Sometimes it's better, you know, that actually, let me say this. A lot of times we just need to keep our mouths shut and keep our ears open. Just need to listen. And, and see what's going on and maybe take it home the next day, take what they're saying and just pray about it. And then maybe the Lord will give you a word or maybe not, but at least you'll be able to come back the following day and say, I prayed for you. All these things, again, will open up the door 
for you to eventually share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to always take out the punching or the, the, the boxing gloves and, and beat, be, beat people down with the gospel. Yeah, there are times you may call for it, but a lot of times you know, people just want someone to, to listen to them. Colossians chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 says, Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. And lastly, the third question, are you willing to discipline yourself and be willing to pay any price for your own sake? Before you were saved, your body wasn't disciplined. That is, your flesh governed your soul, your mind, your emotion, and emotions. It also governed your spirit, the real you that lives forever. To see how this is true, to see what I'm, to, to, to show you what, I, that, what I'm talking about, all you have to do is listen to the conversations that take place at work, at your school campus, at the grocery store, maybe among friends. It won't take long before you will eventually hear the average person talk only about his body or her body, about her financial concerns, and recreational pursuits, his occupational goals and physical needs. It's all about them. It's all about their needs. But when the natural man gets saved, suddenly everything is different. The flesh no longer dominates him. The spirit is disciplined. And suddenly, there's peace in his heart, and life makes more sense. This passage again shows us so much. It just not only talks about the importance of a church supporting their, their ministry leaders, but also how important it is that we ought to that how important it is that we give up our own personal rights our own personal rights be able to humble ourselves and say you know to say no it's 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 okay or help somebody out whatever it may be we must be willing to be all things to all people. And what for again was the reason why? To win people to Christ. Here at the end we talked about the principle of regeneration. That 
meaning the only way to be saved is to be born again. This passage, this, this scripture, everything that is going on here may not make complete sense to you. But once you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home with you. And you're able to begin to understand more clearly the words written in this book and what and the true meaning behind them. Again, I mentioned earlier when I first started that on the surface it may just seem like he's just talking about a church supporting their pastor, their pastor or the, the apostle, the, the, him as an apostle. But what happens when you have the Spirit and you do begin to do an in-depth study, you see more things in there that you've never seen before. And even, even now as I was preparing the study, I, I saw things that I've missed all the times I read this passage. He continually speaks to me through his, through his word. And he will do the same for you. He can do the same for you if you just allow him to. If you just open up your heart and allow Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You know, there's... We often think, hey, I'll, I'll do it later. I'll do it later and... and Later comes, and then we say it again. I have more time, I have more time. And then tragedy hits. Don't let that be you. If you're watching and listening, and you've never surrendered your heart, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you. I just want, I want to tell you that can come to him now you can come to him and he will accept you no matter what you've done no matter what how horrible your life has been he will heal you he will save you he will forgive you that's why God sent his son to die on the cross so that all your sins will be placed upon him. And all you have to do is believe in him. Believe that he is the Son of God. Confess that he is Lord. And he will save you. If you've never done that, I want to, those watching again, listening, I want to lead you into a prayer to accept Jesus into your heart. So if you're out there, wherever you're at, just close your eyes. And with all sincerity, with just all your heart, pray this. Heavenly Father, I, believe, I know that I've sinned against you. I know that I'm a sinner. And I confess 
those sins to you, Lord. I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, that you sent him to die on the cross for my sins. I believe he is Lord. Put, I, I just lay all my sins there at the foot of the cross. I repent of my sins and ask you now to forgive me. Make me clean. Fill me with your spirit so that I may walk with you for the rest of my life, that I may understand you, that I may fall in love with you more and more. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for being my Heavenly Father. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that, let us know. Contact us if, if you've, or you know a church is nearby, you know somebody, contact them. Let them know that you're, you just gave yourself your life to the Lord. Believe me, that Christian, so happy, so joyful. Even if you've cussed them out before or if you've kind of said some mean things to him, if he hears that you've given your life to the Lord, man, it will take away all that stuff you did to him. He'll just no longer remember it. Because now you've become a brother, a brother in the Lord or a sister in the Lord. So again, just find a church. And con I mean, contact them, get, into, get plugged into a study. But yeah, if you're nearby, contact us and we'll give you more information about how to get, to continue walking the Lord. Okay, this is an amazing chapter. And I hope that uh, in your own free time, you'll be able to maybe find some more nuggets of truth in there. I can only find so many, but there's just so many, so many more here. Let's close with the word of prayer. Lord God, thank you for bringing us here, for, for allowing us to open up your word and see your plan for ministry, for the church, for being compensated, for the right, that right that uh, full-time ministers have. And I pray that every minister that's out there, anyone who, every pastor, every church leader, they may understand that Although they have that right, they, it's not really necessary. They will exam that they will examine themselves and ask themselves if, if the church decided never to pay me, would I continue to be here? Would I continue to preach the gospel? 
and whatever answer and however they answer me again they just examine why they're doing what they're doing thank you Lord again for calling us for saving us I pray that we will be open all of us here those of us that are Christians tr believing Christians that we will be open to talking to anybody, ministering to anybody, that we'll never be in a position where we're on a high horse and think that we're better than others. Lord, may we be all things to all people. May we become like them in order to win them for you. And may we also rejoice with a new believer that has just given their life to the Lord. Help us to continue to run this race. May we not be disqualified. Keep us healthy. Keep us safe. Protect us, Lord. As we go on for the rest of the week, Lord, pray that we, you will keep us um, in the palm of your hands. We love you so much. Thank you for being so good to us. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.